for you, how do you define success? What does it mean to you? At this point in my career, and that's been an evolving target over the years, as you can imagine, at this point, it's a couple of things. It's, you know, being 100% confident that that myself and our team is doing the best we can for a client. Uh, it's knowing that I'm setting up a work environment that facilitates my team being able to do their best. For me personally, it's having some balance in my life. Uh, you know, I've built companies that consumed 70 hours a week. I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, so it's, it's, Striking that balance between doing excellent work, but also having a life is how I define success today. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest, Gordon Van Wachel. Gordon has built and sold three national companies, as well as consulted with hundreds of local business owners in a variety of niches. He's the author of nine business books and a frequent speaker at business growth events. He is passionate about bringing big ad agency strategy, tactics, and resources to local business owners. And I am super excited to dig into this conversation with Gordon, find out who he is and what brought him to where he's at right now in his career on the market side, I know how hard it is to be yourself and bring your personality into things and also attract the people that you want to attract in your marketing world. So I'm really excited to dig into this episode. Before we do, I just want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions. If you have not yet reached that level of success that you have been trying to get to, if you can't figure out why it is that all your hard work isn't paying off, then let's sit down and let's have a conversation. Let's find out whether it's your mindset or your tactics or your strategies. What is it that's getting in the way of you accomplishing your goals? And the reality is maybe it's the goals. Maybe they're the wrong goals for you. So let's sit down and let's have that conversation. If you are ready to reach that next level of success, head over to Success Development Solutions slash connection call and let's jump on a strategy call and see what we can do to get you to where you want to go. With that being said, let's go ahead and have a conversation with Gordon. Gordon, good morning, good afternoon, where you're at. Thank you so much for being on the show with me. Thank you, Amber. It is afternoon here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am super excited for it. So let's go ahead and start with a little bit about who you are. And because, you know, we talk so much about identities in this, I'm always interested to know when you were forming that identity of what you thought you were going to be when you grew up, when you were in that teenage years, did you ever think, man, I'm going to be a marketer when I grow up? What did you think you were going to be? I didn't even think I was going to be a business person. I thought I was going to be a college professor. Uh, really? I was going to go get my PhD and teach college. I thought the academic life would be a lot of fun. You know, write a book every few years, pass off a lot of the undergrad work to your graduate assistants. And you know, it seemed like a pretty simple life. <laughs> yeah. How many people do you know? And, and this is kind of a rhetorical question, but I know the number is large. They get into business with that same thought. Like, I'm going to get into business. I'm going to be a business owner and I'm just going to be able to do the fun things that I want to do and pass everything else off to the underlings. And then they realize how wrong they were. It's crazy. I think most people starting their first business come to that realization very quickly. Yeah. Uh, but that's a quick learning curve. You, you don't make that mistake twice. No, you Which really don't. It's to say that you can't have a great time and, and hold on to that passion that first brought you into your business. Yeah, absolutely. 
You know, it's something that I have struggled with in the past and finally found some harmony with, especially given the fact that I run so many different types of businesses of, you know, how do you stay engaged in what you're doing and also delegate at the same time? And that's a whole nother conversation, probably a whole course and lifetime of learning. Um, but I just thought it was interesting that you said that about the college professor. And I thought, man, business owners think that all the time. Um, so you obviously didn't become a college professor. You did become a teacher of sorts in the way that you teach people about marketing. What was that? Well, first of all, let's go way back. When did you realize that you weren't actually going to be a college professor? And what was that transition like for you? Um, when I went to graduate school, um, did okay as an undergrad, got into a big name graduate school, sat down with the head of the department and said, okay, I want to go through the six years, get my PhD and teach. And he, he looked at me, he said, I want you to understand that 50% of our PhDs from last year do not have jobs. And most of those that do are teaching at community colleges for very low wages. Oh, I said, <laughs> Not what you want to hear is your uh, no, definitely your not what I want to hear. Right? So I'm, I, I'm doing the quick calculation. Okay, six more years of my life. Who knows how many tens of thousands of tuition and cost of living and all of that versus getting a job in a community college. So, yeah, uh, I, I realized that I had had a couple of good experiences in the business world as an undergrad. Uh, had been an assistant manager in a restaurant uh, while I was still in school and really enjoyed that. I thought, you know what, maybe I should do something different. So uh, left grad school, got into business and have been there ever since. What was the first business that you got into after grad school, your first business that you grew? What was that? Well, the the first business I grew actually came after a couple of years of working in corporate America. Uh, you know, I did the usual thing. I better find a job. And, you know, of course, my parents are on the sidelines with their very traditional values. Gordon, get a job. Gordon, yes. you need the security. Get a job. Uh, and a government so, a government one is better. Oh, yeah. If you could even qualify for that. But yeah. My friends that want to work for the post office, they still talk about it. <laughs> it's true. My mom was always like, government job, Amber, government job. So I took a corporate job. Uh, did very well for a couple of years, had the opportunity to report to one of the senior executives, uh, much younger than I probably should have. The problem is I was somewhat arrogant, which is surprising considering how calm I am today. Uh, But I really upset some of the people that were a couple of levels above me in management, ultimately got fired and realized that I never want to work for corporate America again. And then started looking around, uh, met a couple of guys. We launched a restaurant company, and that was my first entrepreneurial effort was the restaurant business. You know, the restaurant business, I still believe that every single person should have to work in a restaurant at some point in time in their life. It's a belief that I have held for so long. I grew up in the restaurant industry. Yeah. Um, it is so humbling when you think about what goes into running a restaurant, working in a restaurant. I mean, I was washing dishes when I was nine. So um, it's, it definitely humbles you and makes you more patient and understanding. Um, And what a business to jump into when you first start. Did you know what you were getting into? Well, I'd worked in food service. I mean, starting when I was 13. So like you, I I had some experience. And, you know, you're in your mid-20s, you've got a boatload of energy, and it's an exciting life. Uh, You know, you can close the restaurant at midnight and go party till three in the morning, and you're back (laughs) in for seven o'clock breakfast shifts. It's true. Uh, It's true. But what I loved about that business, and, and I agree with you, I think everybody should do a stint in the restaurant industry. We We looked at a restaurant as a manufacturing facility. You know, you're bringing in your raw products in the back door. In the kitchen, you're processing and producing your product. Your wait staff is your sales team. Your host and hostess are, and your managers are going around and getting customer feedback. Uh, and it's just, it's a complete closed wow. loop in one building. And so you're, you, you divide up those responsibilities and we were able to leverage and grow very quickly. 
In fact, we grew too quickly. We built 16 restaurants in six years uh, and ultimately sold that company. But because we had grown so fast, we had a great deal of debt. So again, if I were to do my business career over again, I would have grown that business much more slowly, then uh, more profitable, not as, not as leveraged, because we sold to a big national company, but basically got out with our names off of all of the debt and a little bit of money for our troubles. Yeah, I think that this is a really important rabbit hole to go down. And I think it ties directly into some of what we're going to talk about in a minute related to marketing. And that's how fast should you want to grow and how fast should you actually grow? Because I think as business owners, so many people out there are talking to us about scaling and setting yourself up to be able to be bigger, which I agree with. I agree that you should always set yourself up with the processes to scale, but knowing when the right time to scale is can prevent a lot of the heartache that you're talking about now. And the answer to those questions would dictate your marketing strategy, right? Well, yeah, there's certainly a correlation there. I think even a step further back is when you launch a business, and most business owners don't do this, what is it that you want to accomplish? You know, are you going to run this business for five years or 25 years? Uh, do you really love this enough to stay in it that long? One of the things I'm noticing, because we also advise business owners on how to position their companies for sale. One of the things I'm noticing is a lot of young entrepreneurs, and by that I mean men and women under 35, they're looking at their, their startup ventures. Oh, maybe I'll do this for three years and then sell it or move on to the next idea. Very different than, than you know, when I started my career. Uh, yeah. You know, we figured that we would build this company and ultimately sell it, which we did. Uh, we sold it faster than we had intended to, in part because we got a decent offer that got us out. But most of the time, I think that business owners need to spend a little time in reflection on what it is they really want to accomplish with this. And can they do so and still have some balance in their lives? Yes. And more and more as I've, I've gotten further along in my career, that balance has become way too important to me. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, and, you know, it's so interesting because I'm not, it's not fair to say I'm transitioning out of the legal field. Um, I'm growing other businesses other than the legal field. And people often ask me, what is it that is causing you to want to explore other options? And exactly what you just said, the lifestyle isn't worth it. The, the stress isn't worth it. So balancing how much you love something with your harmony of life is so important. I'm interested to know how you approach these conversations with people that are building their passion project and they can't see a time or place where they'll ever want out. And as we know, that changes. So how do you encourage people to set themselves up for these alternatives that they just can't even envision right now? When we first start with a prospect, uh, we spend a lot of time in what we call a discovery meeting, and that may evolve into a couple of meetings, depending upon the amount of time the person has and where the conversation takes us. But I'm not just interested in, you know, what are they doing now for marketing and what can we offer them? I really want to understand what their objectives are. How well do they know who their ideal customer is? Do they have any concept of what their average transaction value is or the lifetime value of that customer or client or patient? Uh, do they understand the mechanics of running a business or is it just they're passionate about whatever it is that they're doing and they assume everything else will fall into place? Uh, and, and I'm going down all of those different trails with them, Amber, because it, it enlightens self-interest. Uh, if, if I'm talking with someone who is really unrealistic in their expectations of what they can do or what their business can do or how quickly they're going to be able to do it. Uh, I'm going to probably back away a little bit or I'm going to suggest some things they start with. Uh, but assuming that we're, we're congealing and there looks to be some good synergy there where I believe our company is really going to be able to provide value and help this entrepreneur grow. Then we start looking at some one and three and five year goals and really helping them think about what it is they want to accomplish with that business 
And, you know, that could be a professional practice. It could be a restaurant. It could be, you know, a, a roofing contract company. You know, it, we still want to have that conversation and get them thinking about more than next month. Yeah. And then once we have those things somewhat defined, recognizing that it's a moving target when you get five years out, then we can start to back up and say, okay, here's where you're at today. Here's the budget that you have available for these things. If our goal is to get to here, here's some of the ways that we can do that. Where should we start? Uh, But it becomes very much a partnership. And I think that's one reason why we've had clients that have been with us for for so long. Uh, You know, I started this company in 2003. We still have a client with us that started in 2007. Wow. And, you know, others that are six, eight, nine years with us. So part of it is because from the beginning, we really focus on creating that partnership. Uh, I tell our people, particularly our sales team, that, you know, our marketing message is we want to be your in-house marketing department. You know, we want to take care of everything for you related to marketing. But we also want to help you with what we call the inside reality, those operating systems, your personnel, how you do things in your company, because those are all of the things that contribute to whether or not you deserve the business that you're trying to go after. Yes, it's 100% true. And what I love about your approach so much is that by asking these questions and understanding the deeper reasons for what somebody is building and why they're building it and what they expect to get from it, you're opening their eyes a little bit to the underlying cause that is the force of them wanting to start this business that is like this means of a business, right? So somebody might say, oh, I want to start a roofing business. And they're not passionate about roofing. They're passionate about making sure that people have a safe place to lay their head down at night. And then how many other businesses open up to them and opportunities open up to them when they start to realize that it's not roofing they're interested in, it's protecting people and their safety and and understanding that helps them with the confusion later on down the road when they realize they're not passionate about roofing. Yeah. I love that so much. Um, so when you are working with a company and you're starting to create, you've decided you're going to work with them, you've started to create their ad um, process. I won't even say campaign because I think that comes way later. You talk about this big ad strategy or this this big ad agency style and bringing that to smaller businesses. What do you mean by that? What do you define as this big ad strategy or big ad agency marketing? Yeah, great question. Uh, when I started Alchemy, it was specifically because I recognized that local businesses need the kind of services that the, the big ad agencies provide, but they needed accountability. They didn't need it all at once, and they needed to understand what they were getting. And oftentimes when you're working with a large ad agency, you stroke a twelve dollars or $15,000 check and you hope that something good comes from it. So we take some of those same strategies and apply them to a local business in the proper order based on where the business is at when we start with them and where the owner wants to go. Now, you got to remember back in 2003, or maybe you don't remember, you're a lot younger than I am, Amber. (laughs) I definitely remember 2003, but thank you for the compliment. (laughs) In 2003, we were doing things like setting up phone rooms and bothering people at home. Well, that's illegal now. We were doing fax blasting. Well, that's illegal now. Uh, YouTube didn't exist. Facebook didn't exist. Google existed, but no one knew about it. Uh, If you were online at all, it was dial-up which was worthless. Yes. So it wasn't really until about 2007 that we started transitioning a lot of our work to the internet, uh, started building websites, started doing search engine optimization, which was really easy in those days. Uh, so, you know, I like to say that our company has grown up with the internet, but if I sit down with a business owner today, I mean, there's 50 marketing channels that are all valid in today's marketplace which ones are going to give the best ROI for that client given their business at that time and their budget. So that's the the conversation that we have early on. 
Yeah. And how do you stay up to date on all of them? Are there, are there methods that you find yourself more apt to handle? And then maybe you, um, partner with others who handle some of the other agencies, or have you found a way to allow yourself to be in tune with all of these types of marketing that's out there? Good question. Uh, and I'll give you a couple of answers. Uh, one, we've got specialists on our team. So we've got a web development team and they really keep up with new themes that are coming out, uh, new styles of websites. Uh, we've got people that manage traffic. Uh, Google ads is a constantly moving target, uh, but we've managed over 10 million in client ad spend in the last few years with Google ads. So we've got specialists on our team and their whole focus is managing that channel for our clients. Uh, we have two people that focus just on reputation. Uh, we've got copywriters. So we've we've created silos within our agency of specialists. Uh, me personally, I would say I spend three to five hours a week on some type of webinar or interaction with people I trust in the industry. Uh, I'm involved in three mastermind groups with other agency owners, and we're always sharing ideas and evaluating new products. Uh, it's easy to get sucked into the bright, shiny object syndrome in my industry because there's always something new coming out. Uh, so that ongoing education is really important in our business. Now, that being said, when you get right down to it, uh, there's really the, the five core product areas that a business needs to grow. Uh, that's why I wrote the book Core 5 Marketing is to really just talk about those five and how they apply to just about any type of business. And not to say that you can't do other things, but if you have those basics in place, that gives you a steady path to growth and the financial flexibilities then start looking at maybe some of the more esoteric or niche specific types of marketing. That's interesting. And your book, um, we're it's crazy how you read my mind and went there. Um, your book, where is the best place for people to be able to access that and consume that content? Uh, well, I'd love it if they'd go to Amazon and spend 13 bucks and buy it. Uh, but I tell you what, I will make sure that Tammy Ann, my assistant, sends you a link that you can put in the show notes and people can download a free PDF copy of the book, uh, Core 5 Marketing. And that will give them everything they need. They can read it on their own. My gift. You know, that's so generous of you. We'll definitely put the Amazon link in there too. Um, for the book side of things, you've written nine books, um, nine business or marketing books. Um, have you, what has been your experience? Like if, if somebody out there is about to write a book and they are somewhere between the thinking and the writing and ripping pages up stage, what, um, what is the advice that you have for them? Well, let me suggest a really simple formula for writing a book. It requires somebody who of course knows their product or service, knows their niche well, but the first thing I would advise them to do is get a legal pad or, or their laptop and think through the 10 most common questions that people ask them about their business. And then start a fresh sheet or a fresh folder in your Word doc and think about the 10 questions that people should be asking, but they don't know enough about your business to ask them. Now, 10 isn't a magic number. It could be seven, it could be 15. But the point is you want to hit all of those topics that people normally ask, but then think about the other topics that they should be asking, but they don't know. Then you take each one of those questions and you write a really detailed answer, a couple pages on each one of them. Then you start to mash them together and those become your chapters. Now, what happens is when you answer the common questions, people get excited. They go, oh, okay, now I understand why that, why that is that way. But then when you start answering the questions that they don't know to ask, that establishes your expertise. And that's what sets you apart and compels them to want to have a further conversation with you. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who have written books, who talk about books, who tell people how to write books. And that is by far the most direct and understandable way that anybody has ever said, here's how you should write a book. <laughs> well, it, 
it's simple. It takes advantage of the knowledge that you have and it focuses you on the particular rather than being overwhelmed by, oh my gosh, I have to write a 150 page book. How am I ever <laughs> going to do that? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, so moving that back into the marketing space, what is something that you wish people knew about marketing? So business owners that are just getting ready to reach out to marketers, maybe they're switching marketers or interviewing new oh, marketers. Sure. What questions should they be asking to make sure that they have the right one? Well, the first thing that they should be evaluating is how interested is the agency in learning about their business? Uh, one of the things that frustrates me about being in the marketing business is there's no barrier to entry. You don't need a degree. You don't need a license. You can literally go to a weekend seminar and on Monday, put yourself out into the marketplace as an expert. I really wish there was some regulation in my industry, uh, but if I'm a business owner and I'm interviewing agencies, who's really asking me insightful questions? Who's trying to get to know my business, me, my objectives, my priorities, or are they automatically prescribing something? Uh, are they automatically trying to sell me one of their off-the-shelf systems that they, they offer to every business regardless of what niche they're in? Second, um, I would want to have a pretty good idea as a business owner of what I felt comfortable spending and see how the agency would take that budget and organize it. And, and you know, you want to be honest with the agency. If somebody comes to me and says, I have a $300 budget, uh, I'm going to tell them to go hire a high school kid to do mm -hmm. social media because that level of branding is about all you can afford right now. Yeah. So, you know, but if you've got $1,000 a month to spend, just tell the agent, hey, I have $1,000. Here's where I'm at. You know, in six months, maybe we'll have 1500 But right now I have $1,000. Can you help me? And again, you go through that process. Uh, the other thing that business owners don't realize is how, well, maybe they do. They're just overwhelmed with all of the marketing options. So another way to answer your question is, what are the basics that someone needs to launch their business or if they've been in business a little while to make sure they have in place uh, before they start worrying about more sophisticated marketing. Uh, and, you know, the suggestion that we make, and we've actually trademarked it as one of our products, we call it digital jumpstart. It's a basic website. And again, this doesn't have to be a 15 or $20,000 monster site. It can be a simple six to eight pages, as long as it has a homepage that very clearly states your value proposition above the fold. You know, when the, when the screen first comes up, what's the value proposition? And it, here again, a lot of business owners have not clearly articulated what their value proposition is. Why should you do business with me versus the myriad of competitors that are out there? And you want to state that very clearly, 15 or 20 words on your homepage. The other thing we like to see on the homepage is a short video with the owner. The owner looking right into the camera, 60, no more than 75 seconds of, hey, you know, my name is Gordon. I started Alchemy Consulting for this reason. Really uh, glad that you're here. Uh, notice there's a couple of things on our page. Uh, look forward to the opportunity to talk with you. Very simple. The reason that's so important is two things. The average person spends 12, 9 to 12 seconds looking at a website before they bounce. Wow. So if there's nothing compelling there, they're going to bounce. Well, if you've got a compelling value proposition, that catches their attention. If you've got a video, statistically, over 80% of people would rather watch a video than read copy. Yeah, so I can see that. Video. That keeps them on the page a little longer. And if your video invites them to take the next step on your page, they're going to do it. So the home page is really important to have those things and your phone number prominent up in the header. So if somebody is looking to get a hold of you, they can find your number easily. The second most important page on that website is the About Us page. People don't realize that the About Us page is for many cases, the second most visited page on the website, even more than your products or services. Wow. And the reason for that 
is by the time somebody gets to your website and is willing to engage with your content and potentially with your company, they want an idea of who they're going to be working with. So if you've got an About Us page that maybe has some information on some of your, your team members or it really clearly articulates uh, what you do as a company, maybe a little more depth about your philosophy and your value proposition, that's going to give them a a warm fuzzy about, hey, maybe this is a group of people that I could work with. Maybe this is a practitioner that would be able to, to help me with this issue that I'm facing. Uh, and then the other pages can be, you know, your products and services and a contact page. So a basic website is critically important. You, you're not a real business without a website. Second is a Google business profile. Uh, this is free. You have to sign up for it. You have to verify your address. If you work out of your home, Google's no longer going to give you this page. Mm. But if you have uh, an office, if you have even in many cases an executive suite where you actually pay and have your own space in there, uh, they're going to give you that, that page. And that's really important for a couple of reasons. One, you can optimize it with all kinds of information about your business. You can put posts on there uh, daily if you want. Most of our clients, uh, we, we do weekly posts for them. Uh, you can upload video and images. But the other reason that's important is that is Google's response to the Facebook business page. Oh, gotcha. And if you fully optimize that page and continue to upload content, Google will reward you with preferential treatment in the search results for your primary keywords. So that's why that's important, particularly for a young company. And then the third part of that basic foundation is you need to claim some relevant citation and directory sites. And that takes us down a tech rabbit hole that we probably don't have <laughs> time on, but, but it's important to do that. That's the foundation of your search engine optimization. So those three things form the, the core foundation, your cornerstone on the web. And then after that, you can start looking at other things. But that's that's important to have that basic in place. It's such important and um, valuable information. So thank you for sharing that. If people want to continue down that conversation and want to know more about your marketing agency and how you may be able to help their business at whatever stage they're at, what's the best way for them to reach you? TheAlchemyConsultingGroup.com. Alchemy is A-L-C-H-E-M-Y, thealchemyconsultinggroup.com. Perfect. Uh, and we'll go on website. Perfect. And we'll go ahead and throw that in the show notes as well. <laughs> so really quickly, let's go ahead and switch to the success element of this podcast. So the podcast is called More Than Corporate, and I believe that people do not spend enough time talking about their definition of success. And because they don't mm -hmm. spend enough time talking about that, then they are not able to actually build the business that is going to make them feel successful. So for you, how do you define success? What does it mean to you? At this point in my career, and that's been an evolving target over the years, as you can imagine, at this point, it's a couple of things. It's, you know, being 100% confident that, that myself and our team is doing the best we can for a client. Uh, it's knowing that I'm setting up a work environment that facilitates my team being able to do their best. For me personally, it's having some balance in my life. Uh, you know, I've built companies that consumed 70 hours a week. I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, so it's, it's striking that balance between doing excellent work, but also having a life is how I define success today. I love that. And as you work towards that definition, which as you mentioned before is ever moving, which I think is even more important is to constantly check in with that definition. Yeah. Um, but as you work towards that definition, how do you check in with yourself to make sure that you're still working within that foundation? I look at my calendar, you know, how overbooked am I? <laughs> <laughs> and are all of these things necessary? Uh, this last two years, I've really started delegating a lot more of the major responsibilities to a couple of my key people uh, and, you know, have, have told them this is why I'm doing it. I mean, they're, they're in their 30s. They've got the energy that we all had in our 30s, uh, but they don't have the experience or the knowledge yet. So, you know, I'm working with them to help them grow into that role where they can really assume a lot more leadership in the company. Uh, 
you know, not to say that I'm about to retire or sell or anything like that, but, you know, I would like to work fewer hours a week. Uh, I'd like to do some other things. I, I have worked with a couple of, non, a couple of NGOs, non-government organizations building micro enterprise in different parts of the world. I'd like to spend a little more time doing wow. that. Uh, I get a lot of satisfaction with that. That's, you know, I've, when you get north of 50, Amber, you start thinking about your legacy more than you think about next week. Uh, yeah, I can I can imagine that. For me, um, it it's a little bit sooner than that, um, and it comes up quick. My um, dad passed away when I was 19, and yeah. well, I was 18, about to be 19, and he passed away at 42. And I remember at 18, when somebody's 42, you think they're ancient. And then you turn 39 and you realize like 42 is nothing. And so for me, it's, I, it's been the last few years that that legacy conversation has been coming in because it's impossible for me not to think every day that if I was my dad, I'd have three more years to make that legacy. Yeah. And, and it's crazy. Oh, it's crazy. So, um, so the legacy for you, um, is that business? Is it personal? Is it everything? Like what type of legacy do you want to leave? Well, I think it's a combination of things. You know, certainly I, I want to make sure that the business impression I have with our clients and our team is a positive one uh, that, you know, we all visualize. Well, I don't say we all do. Many of us visualize our memorial service. It'd be nice if a couple of those people stood up and said nice things. Uh, but Beyond that, it's, you know, what little ripple uh, have I left? And most of, I think, the positive ripples are going to be the things I've done in the two-thirds world to, you know, build sustainable economies in villages in different parts of Africa and Central Asia. I'm doing a lot of work in the Middle East now. Wow. Uh, you know, those impacting those lives uh, is, you know... It, I've been given some business acumen and to be able to take that and apply it to people that haven't had that opportunity and, and help them reach that level of understanding where they're self-sustaining and their village is self-sustaining. And now they have a school. And in some cases we've been able to create a medical clinic. So, you know, that kind of work, uh, I think that will be my legacy. Yeah. That's um, super interesting and powerful. How did you get into that? What was the moment that you started working in that space? Uh, in the mid nineties, I was invited to go to a conference in Kazakhstan. I had never heard of Kazakhstan, uh, but decided I would go, uh, just not sure why, but I just had that, this, that, that inner voice that sometimes we're smart enough to listen to that said, go yes. do this. Uh, and I met some people that really had an impact on me just because of the way they lived. Uh, people from the West who were living in Central Asia at that time. And, you know, this was two years after the fall of communism, after the Berlin Wall came down. Uh, even in a capital city like Almaty, the shelves in the stores were bare. Uh, it was winter and there was no heat in a lot of the buildings. Uh, the, the trade between the former republics of the Soviet Union was now governed by local leadership. And a lot of times those leaders didn't like each other. So, you know, the hydroelectric power from one country would be cut off to the other country because the president there was mad at the president here. And, uh, there were a lot of problems and to, to meet these people and see how they lived, you know, and many things, many times just lived by faith uh, that had an impact on me. And I wanted to do something that would, would help. Uh, so, you know, we started working on some micro enterprise plans and I, I kept going back. I was back and forth three, four times a year developing these. And then we took that concept to other countries and, you know, then into Africa and, you know, now we're working in Central Asia and the Far East. Wow. I love that so much. I love that so much. I have a, I have a cousin up in Canada who um, rewarded her kids like that. And I thought it was really cool to see like um, 
her and her kids saved up for a period of time and, and she taught them business stuff. So they had their lemonade stand and they had all this stuff that they saved money on. And then she said, okay, so some of that money you're going to give back. And they ended up building a school in, in um, a third world country. I can't remember. It was an African country. I don't remember which one. Um, And I just thought what a cool lesson to teach people. We are so sheltered in this country. Um, I, I mentioned I'm an attorney, I'm an immigration attorney. And every single time I talk to my clients, um, I am reminded just how lucky I am that I happen to be born here. And I think that what you're talking about is something that so many people could benefit from that would allow us to make our country even better, bringing back some of the personality traits of those who have not always been as privileged as we have. So. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Um, so what does the future look like for you? What um, are you looking forward to both business and um, legacy or professional wise? Are there um, any things that are coming up that you are super excited to share? Uh, you know, our business continues to grow uh, and that's, I mean, that's just organic growth. Uh, I think the things that I'm excited about for this year uh you know, I've been developing, I mentioned I've been developing a couple of leaders in our company for two years in one case, 18 months in another. Uh, they're going to have the opportunity this year to take over some of those things because I'm going to, I've booked three international trips and I'm not taking my laptop. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I have anxiety just thinking about that and good for no, you. I do too, Amber, trust me. <laughs> And I will I have mean, phone. <laughs> I am reachable. I, I just switched from the PC to the Mac world. And part of the reason that I switched was because I saw the integration. And then I switched and I was like, oh my God, I can't get away. Um, and so I have like, you're like, I'm going to go without my, my computer. And I have my phone and my tablet and my computer that I travel with. And I, I'm very jealous of traveling without all of that. So good for you. Um, what piece of advice would you give to the listeners that are out there that are thinking about starting something new or taking their business to the next level from just a business or entrepreneurial space? What is one thing that you think that all new business owners or entrepreneurs need to keep in mind as they move forward? I'll share you the share with your group the wisdom that I learned from one of the books I read just recently. The book is called The Road Less Stupid, and I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, Keith Cunningham is the author. One of the points that he makes is how important it is for us as business owners to turn everything off, grab a legal pad in his case, uh, you know, a tablet in mine, and go sit somewhere for a couple of hours and just think think through everything that's going on in your company, think through your people, think through your systems, think through where you want to go. And he suggests blocking out 90 minutes a couple of times a week to do this. Uh, And man, that's good advice. Because as business owners, we get so involved in the weeds. You know, we're, we're just constantly hacking at the weeds that are growing over our heads. And particularly if you're a young company and you can't yet afford to have staff to help you take care of some of those issues, uh, just to be able to get away and think about your business and and where you want to take it, but also what you want to do outside of your business life, you know, and and is that business really contributing to those things? Uh, Too often I talk with young business owners who really don't have a business, they have a job. And they haven't yet figured out how to turn that into a business. Yeah, but they think it's a business because they own it. So now all they've done is create. So I, I hear you. I think that, you know, that shift from employee to actual business owner is so important. And too many times all people have done is made themselves their own employee. Yep. Yep. They traded a 40 hour a week salary for a 65 hour a week uncertainty. Yes. Which isn't always a bad thing when that uncertainty comes with some sort of future plan. But when, you know, because we're in a space where I, well, life has no certainty to it and, and at a job is just a false sense of security, but you have to make sure that what you're moving to is managed 
to provide more security than what you're leaving. So I I definitely um, think that that advice is very well given. Before we wrap up, I would love to do a quick random round with you. Are you okay with that? I'm not sure what a random round is, but let's go for it. All right, perfect. Um, If you could have any job other than what you um, are doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? Being president. I like it. I mean, I don't know that I would ever want that type of stress and responsibility, but good for you. I, I don't know that I would either, but man, I've looked at the last 20 years and thought I could do at least that well. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's getting harder and harder by the day. Um, I'm yeah. I'm with you there. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Oh boy, where to start with that one? Uh, you know, I read a lot, uh, at least a couple of books a month, and my undergraduate degree is in history. So a lot of times I like to read history. Uh, one of the places that I have visualized being is on the deck of General Douglas MacArthur's ship as he's steaming toward Incheon in Korea to attack an impregnable fortress. Mm. And he had planned this audacious attack that the, the Koreans didn't even defend that area because the, the tides were 30 foot between high and low tides. So there was no way to land infantry in that place. And while he's on his way there, all of the people in Washington, D.C. sent him messages and says, no, you shouldn't do this. You're on your own. The failure is yours. And he telegraphed back to them. That means the success is mine. You guys can stuff it, in other words. Uh, but from what I've read, he sat on the, the captain's deck, uh, the, the top part of that ship. And at this point, he's old. He came out of retirement. Uh, and he's talking about a lifetime as a warrior with all of these sub-officers. And I think what an amazing experience to listen to a man who had that much experience and, and acumen in that niche. Don't know that I would ever want to be a warrior but just to listen to that level of wisdom. So that's one place that I would go. I Uh, love that answer so much. And I think that it's so relevant to what we've been talking about even today in this podcast, but what I talk about in general in this podcast, because one of the things that I experience with entrepreneurs so much is that they will own their failures, but they won't own their successes. Mm. And they'll, they'll constantly sit there and think of ways that they could have done things better, which is the growth mindset um, curse of an entrepreneur but they don't take yes. enough time to acknowledge that the successes that went right were also them. And so that statement of the failure is yours, well, that means the success is mine too, is something that I really want people to hear. The other corollary to what you were just saying is that when you create something, you you do own it. But oftentimes as business owners, we feel like it has to be at 100%. You know, we have to keep micromanaging to get it to that point. And a lesson from Dan Kennedy, the great marketer who passed away a couple of years ago, Dan Kennedy was fond of saying good is good enough. If you get it to 85 or 90 percent, you need to launch it because that's better than what your competitors are doing. Uh, yeah. You there and, and micromanage to try to get everything perfect before you launch. Uh, opportunity is gone. Absolutely. I remember when I started my podcast, my podcast coach said, if you are not embarrassed by your first episode. You waited too long to launch. <laughs> like, well, thank you for that. Cause I am. That's so right. That's right. And you're, you're probably a little embarrassed about things in the 10th episode. So. Oh, and this will be 252 and it's not perfect and it never will yeah. be, but you get better every time and you embrace yeah. that human. So I love that. I tell our, our clients who's, who are intimidated by doing video. So look at, Nobody expects you to be a movie star. In fact, they won't trust you if you're a movie Mm, star. Yes. They're they're not looking for Hollywood quality. You know, they're looking for you. They want to understand you. Now, your sound quality has to be good. You know, the camera can't be shaking constantly. And there has to be some some quality to the production. But it doesn't have to be perfect. And no one's expecting you as a roofer or a, a chiropractor or whatever you do to be perfect on video. Yeah. I was just talking with somebody about that today. And I said, it's so interesting to me that TV shows and movies work so hard to be 
perfect. And then what do we do? We go look for the blooper reels. Like we go look for the areas that were videoed that people messed up. And then that's where we relate to them. And then we understand the movie on a deeper level, which is, is crazy. So I love that, that whole idea of you don't need to be perfect, nor should you be. Um, you mentioned you read a lot and I also read a ton. One of the questions that I ask every single one of my guests is what book do you think and it may be the one that you mentioned earlier, which is fantastic. What book do you think every business owner and entrepreneur needs to read? Hmm. Uh, well, The Road Less Stupid, for sure. Uh, Simon Sinek has a couple of good books that will really help you take a thousand foot view on your business. Uh, Exit Rich is an interesting book that I read recently. Uh, it talks about how you position your business to, to eventually sell, which is the objective that a lot of entrepreneurs have when they start their business. Uh, so those are, those are a couple of ideas that, that might be of value. I love it. And the last question is purely selfish because I'm a music nerd and I need new songs for my playlist. What is your pump up song? <laughs> uh, Gosh, pretty much anything from 70s stadium rock. <laughs> okay, I can get behind that. So uh, I listen to a lot of Journey. Uh, yes. I, you know, that's a great band for me. Uh, recent bands, you know, bands in the last 10 or 12 years. I actually like Keen. I, I think a lot of their music is, it, it sounds nice to me. And it's the kind of thing I can have on in the background when I'm not doing really highly focused work. Uh, yeah. And enjoy it. Uh, but you know, I live 20 minutes from the ocean. So sometimes there's, you know, those Beach Boys moods where you just got to put on something old like that. <laughs> yeah. Or just listen to the ocean, man. I um, mentioned to you that I grew up in Idaho and went to school in Michigan. So I grew up yeah. as far away from ocean as possible. Yeah. Um, and so far away from the ocean that I actually thought I had seen it because I had been to um, like Michigan. Yeah. So um, I, and, and not really. So if you're listening to that and you're like, Amber, that's stupid. I, I didn't think I saw the ocean. I just didn't see a reason to go see the ocean because I thought it was the same as the Great Lakes. And then I had a client in LA and a friend of mine took me to Newport Beach. Oh, yeah. And I thought, oh, this is not the same. Like, no. I, I love Michigan, but this is not the same. And now I try to get over there a couple times a month um, just to listen to the waves. Like, there's nothing that's more peaceful than that. So I'm very jealous of your proximity to the ocean. Um it has been absolutely amazing having you on. I think that there's so many great things that have come through this podcast, both in the marketing world, in the business world, and then in just your growth and success and being human. So I greatly appreciate you going down um, those rabbit holes with us. Um, and one more time, if people want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best place for them to reach you? Thealchemyconsultinggroup.com. Perfect. And again, if you're listening to this, it'll be in the show notes. If you're watching this, it'll be in the comments to the YouTube channel or the Facebook page. Thank you guys so much. And we'll catch you on the next show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that sounds like something that you're interested in. The name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.